0: You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. So, this weekend we're starting a new series, and Christmas is in the air, right? Our church is decorated, it looks Christmasy, why we decorated our house for Christmas. I even watched one of my favorite Christmas movies this weekend. That's right, Die Hard. It was awesome. And it is a Christmas movie, by the way, um, because it features Christmas music throughout. And, and, when John McClane kills one of the terrorists, he writes ho, ho, ho on his shirt, so... That qualifies as Christmas, so there are things that make me feel, though, I, I, when I was watching that movie yesterday, <laughs> I, I paused it because there's a scene where there's a gas station in the background, and you can see the prices of gas, <laughs> 75 cents a gallon. <laughs> I don't even know who the president was at that time, but we want to elect that guy. That's who I want. I don't care what his politics are. If he could bring give me 75 cents a gallon gas, come on. Well, here we are. Christmas time. And um, we're starting a series today called It's a Wonderful Life. And we've stayed away from Jimmy Stewart since I've been here, uh, avoided avoided any, you know, It's a Wonderful Life themes, but for the month of December, that's what our series is going to be. And as we were talking about this series, we were just discussing what does it look like to have a wonderful life? What does it mean? If you if you could ask the question to to people, what well, What would it look like if you had a wonderful life? And they might describe it and they'd say, here's what I want. I want this or I want this. If I just had this, then I would have a wonderful life. And what we were discovering as we were talking about it is the world standard and God's standard are very different for what constitutes a wonderful life. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is just talk about what does the world say a wonderful life looks like? And then what does the Bible have to say about that? And how are some of our values corrupted by the world that we live in? And so that's what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks. We're going to be unpacking this together. And so today we're going to start with this statement. What makes a wonderful life? Well, being in love. I want to be in love. That's a wonderful life. And our world has a very specific idea of what love is. Um, So here's the problem. I think the problem is this, that we are in love with being in love. Well, we love the feeling of being in love. We love the butterflies and the goosebumps and the the excitement, and that's what we want, and we think that's what love is because we have been lied to by the Hallmark Channel. Let's be honest. They all look the same. They all end the same. If they ended where, like, the the hunky owner of the candy cane factory died at the end, you would cancel your subscription to Hallmark, right? But it's the same every time. She's a high-powered attorney from the big city. (laughs) He's a handsome, yet humble, candy cane factory owner. (laughs) Welcome to Tinseltown, a Hallmark original movie, right? Right? And we know the formula and we know what's going to happen. At the end, the, the handsome guy ends up with a beautiful woman and there's some struggle and should we and I don't know and I, don't, I can't leave my life but I want to save the factory and so they end up together at the end and you love me and I love you and oh, they love each other and they all live happily ever after. What I want to see is fast forward that movie like 10 years and let's we'll see how that really is turning out. Let's see what that really looks like. That's the hallmark I'm after. But that's what we want. We've been lied to, and we think it's all about our feelings and emotions. And I just want to feel in love. And I, and I told the service last night, um, Kim and I are are so close to being empty nesters. I mean, we'll get Abby out of the house in like February. Emma will be out of our house come like you know the end of the summer, and we are free. <laughs> It I was like, dude, that's not cool. Um, but here's the thing. I, I'm going to be sad, I promise. There'll be plenty of tears. But I've had couples whose kids have left the house, have empty nesters who have sat on my couch, who have essentially said something like, our kids are out of our house and we don't even know if we like each other anymore. It's because they've spent their lives investing in their kids, but not in their marriage. And now when their marriage is all they've got left, they're going, well, what do we do now? We don't feel in love. I don't feel affection for this person. And it's sad because so many of us have believed the lie that love is about how we feel. We see movies and television, we see all the things, we hear the songs, all the stuff tells us that we should be feeling a certain way. And it's shaped our view of dating and marriage and sex, and relationships. There's a, a, some polls that I found as I was doing some studying this last week. A YouGov poll that surveyed thousand Americans found that 34% of respondents described their ideal relationship as something other than complete monogamy. So let me just spell this out. 34% of people said my ideal relationship is that I can have a relationship with anybody I want at any time my ideal relationship is not one person for the rest of our lives together. They were saying, yeah, I I want a relationship as long as I can have a relationship with anybody anytime. I don't know if you know this, that is not exactly biblical. Among 18 to 25 year olds, 80% said that their own self-care is the top priority when dating. So, 80% of 18 to 25 year olds said, my biggest priority is I've just got to look out for myself. I've got to take care of myself. And as a dad of two daughters, I get that to some degree, but this is not a biblical stance to take because what happens is we get into a relationship and if my needs aren't being met, if if it's not all about me and I'm not being taken care of and you're not meeting my expectations, then we end the relationship. And what happens is we take that baggage into marriage and then we go, well, wait a second, you're not making me happy. You're not fulfilling my needs. You're not meeting every expectation. And we still make ourselves a top priority. This is a problem. Because as we're going to see, love is not just about us and our feelings and what we get. Some of you are going to love this next one. Half of all cohabitating relationships in the U.S. end within one year. And only 10% last more than five years. So I talk to people in our church. And if you are currently living with your significant other and you are not married, I am not condemning you. I'm trying to help you. There is a better way than what you're currently doing. And statistically, what this statistic says is, if you are living together, you are probably dooming your relationship. You've got a 50-50 chance that your relationship won't even last one year. You've only got a 10% chance that your relationship is going to last more than five years. Did you know if you are living together before you're married, this is not a, a Christian stat. This is stats that are easily accessible, but... If you are living with someone before you marry them, you're more likely to divorce them than you would if you were not living with them before you got married. So living with someone before you get married, try before you buy, if you will, because I've heard people say something like, well, pastor, you wouldn't buy a car without test driving it. It's like, is that really the analogy you want to use? With your pastor, right? what we're actually doing is we're making our marriages harder because we are not following a biblical pattern for what God is asking us to do, how we should love each other and take care of each other. So our views are off because we're so influenced by what the world says rather than what the Bible says. And Jesus asked the question in John chapter 21, Jesus asked this question to Peter. um, And it's, It's after his death, burial, resurrection, he has appeared to the disciples. He calls to them from the shore, and they come to him, and he's having this interaction with Peter, and he asks Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, you know I love you. And he ends up asking him three times. Now, Jesus wasn't asking from an insecure perspective. He wasn't like, I need to know, do you love me? You do? Are you sure you love me? He wasn't asking like that. He wasn't asking for him. He was asking for Peter. And so he asked him this question, do you love me? But there's something about this question that rings true with us. It resonates in our souls because each of us are wired to love and be loved. And so for each of us, there's this deep longing and ache in our soul that begs the question, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you you see me? Do you care about me? Because we all want to be loved, and the problem is we are following our feelings in order to answer this question. So it causes people to to live promiscuous lifestyles because we're we're trying to find love And, and this affection and the attention I get from this person. Well, it's they're showing me love, but it's it's not real. And all of these pursuits are really a pursuit of a feeling, of the butterflies, of the electricity, of the whatever it is that we are seeking because we're asking this question, do you love me? So what I need you to know is that this is a fundamentally flawed search. In Jeremiah chapter 17, the prophet said this in verse 9, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things, and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? The the human heart is deceitful above all things. (laughs) It's desperately wicked. It's deceitful and wicked. And he says, who really knows how bad it is? And what he's saying is, your feelings are lying to you. In fact, I love the Hebrew language because it paints a picture. And so when it says deceitful, um, the the image that it's portraying is that of a slippery slope. And we live in Western PA, so you understand this. When the weather gets bad, the weathermen sometimes will warn of, of black ice. Look out for black ice. And what are they saying? Well, black ice is present on the road. You don't see it coming, though. It's invisible to your eye. And so you don't see it coming, until you hit it. And when you hit it, you lose control. And this is what our hearts do. Our hearts are deceptive. They will lie to us. And what happens is it will, we do not see it coming. And before we realize it, we are out of control, we end up in a ditch. This is what our hearts do to us. So when we say things like follow your heart or pursue your passions, those might sound like good things to say or do, but it's, it's wrong because our hearts, are deceitful and wicked and bad. So we can't filter our decisions through our hearts, through our feelings. We have to filter our decisions through something else. So the question again is, what is love? And the Bible gives us an answer in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And in 1 Corinthians 13, it's, it's interesting because we think this is the love chapter. It's called the love chapter at times. Uh, you, even if you're not a Christian, if you've been to a wedding, there's a good chance you've heard this, this passage of scripture because it's so commonly read in weddings. But here's the thing, it's not even about romantic love. It's about church people. It's, it's how church people get along. That's what, that's what Paul is trying to help the people do here in the Corinthian church. They were fighting over the gifts of the Spirit in the church, and he's telling them, here's how the gifts of the Spirit should work. And then in chapter 13, he says, hey, let me just stop for a second. You people better love each other. How about this? How about if you love each other? Stop being jerks is basically what he's saying. And and then he reminds the church of how they're loved by God. And he says this. He says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Now we would love to go, oh, this is this this kind of aspirational love all of us should have. And this is about a man and a woman and their marriage and relationships and no What he's describing is how God loves his people. The word he uses here for love is agape, and this is a really important word. There's five, I'm sorry, four primary words in the Greek language for love, and this is the word that's used predominantly talking about the love of God or the love from God. It's the word agape, and agape love is a sacrificial love. It's a love that says, hey, I'm going to love you even if I don't feel like it. And some of the other loves are tied to emotion and feeling, but agape love is about a discipline. It's about saying, no, 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 I'm going to be in relationship with you. I'm going to love you sacrificially, even if I don't feel like it. That's the love of God for us, for his people. And so what Paul is saying to the church is, hey, you people are fighting over stupid stuff. Do you Have you forgotten how much you're loved by God? Let me describe God's love to you, and this is what he does. He describes God's love to the people, and the implication, as we're gonna see in our text today, is you're gonna love the same way. And so for, the, for us, the biblical standard for love is 1 Corinthians 13. Ladies, let me help you. And there's a bunch of IUP students and college students here, and there's a lot of you right over here, so I'm gonna to talk to this section. If he doesn't love you this way, Run away from him. And ladies, that's not just for you. Fellas, if you've got a woman that you're pursuing and she is gorgeous, but she doesn't love you like this, I don't care how hot she is, how good looking she is, it doesn't matter. Run for your life. This is the biblical standard for what love is. It applies to our marriages, it applies to our friendships, our relationships. It has nothing to do with our feelings or emotions. It has everything to do with us saying, I know how I've been loved by God, and the people around me deserve to be loved that way, so I'm going to do everything in my power to love them that way, with an agape love. Now, there's a Hebrew word that's associated with agape. It's not a direct parallel, but it's close, and it's chesed. I'm not going to pronounce it like that again, because my throat will start to hurt. So... And it means kindness, mercy, or loving kindness. And it's used 239 times in scripture. And it is is a love that's based not on feelings, but on covenant. So there's two things you need to know about Hasid. It's given and received in the context of covenant relationships. So the contract says, if you take care of me, I'll take care of you. It's a quid pro quo, okay? You be good, I'll be good. But if you stop being good, I stop being good. And this is how many people date and this is how many people marry. This is why as soon as somebody misbehaves or is not meeting my needs or my feelings or my emotions, then I'm gonna find somebody else in a dating life or in a marriage. And this is not covenant, it's contract. But what the Bible talks about and what we have with God, the way he loves us, is covenantal. So what it means is he loves us in spite of how stupid we are. Is anybody grateful for that? Yeah. No. I know I am, because I can be a fool sometimes. I can be an idiot, but God loves me in spite of me, because we're in covenant. Now, not only is, is our relationship said it's a covenant, it's expected to be reciprocated and propagated. So a covenant says, no matter what you do, I'm committed to you. you don't don't behave correctly, I'm still gonna be committed to you. I'm still gonna hold up my end of the bargain whether you do or not. That's covenant. But this covenant that we're in is supposed to be reciprocated. So we're in covenant with God. So we receive his love freely, but we extend it to him freely. And it's supposed to be propagated, which means to go forth. So this is why we reach lost people for Jesus Christ, because we've received the love of God. And now we want to extend that love to other people that we come into contact with. We want them in covenant with God as well. And this is the expectation. This is how God wants us to live. Not based on our feelings and emotions. And this is what happens even in church. People will come to church and they'll have an experience and be like, oh my gosh, the music and the preaching. Woo, so good. And then something bad happens. And they're like, well, I just don't feel like God loves me. No, he does love you. But you're basing your opinion on your feelings. (laughs) And here's the thing. I love my wife so much. But there are days... I don't feel like loving her so much because I'm a human being. And she wakes up some days and she looks across the bed at me and you can bet your bottom dollar she doesn't look at me and think, I feel like loving that guy today because my beard, I don't even have head like bed hair. I've got like beard hair. It's everywhere, croutons in my eyes. I'm like, like mm-mm. It's not based on feeling. It's based on covenant, it's based on a commitment, it's based on me being disciplined and saying, hey, no matter how I feel today, no matter what Kim does or doesn't do, I'm in covenant relationship with her, period. This is one of the things that was so good for my daughters through the years because they would see their friends' parents get divorced and we could reassure her and say, we don't care what happens. We don't care what else happens in your friends' lives, your mom and dad will never, ever, ever get divorced, period because both of us understood we're in covenant together and just understand if if you have been through a divorce there's no condemnation in that we love you we care about you but that's not what God wants for you ultimately God wants us to live in covenant together so first john chapter 4 says this, verse 7, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. So let me stop there for a second. Evidence that we know God is that we love well. And every time we see the word love in this passage, or the verb loved, it's describing agape or a form of agape love. A sacrificial love of God, from God, for us, that flows through us to others. So God empowers us to love people that are unlovable because we were unlovable people that God loved. It says in verse eight, but anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. Even your lost friends that don't know any scripture, they know that part of that verse, don't they? God is love. Because you will say something or do something and they'll be like, well, wait a second, you're a Christian. I thought... I thought you're supposed to love, because God is love. And they'll use it to justify any behavior or any point of view, but they don't understand the context. What it's saying is, anyone who doesn't, lo- doesn't love doesn't really know God. Because if, if we really know God, if we really understand the love that God has for us, the agape love, the sacrificial love that he gave us when we did not deserve it, then it would make it easier. No, no, let me stop there. It would make it almost impossible for us to be in relationship with someone and not extend love to them in spite of what they've done. If I really understand what God's done for me, if I know the depths that God has gone to for me, the sacrifice he has made, if I understand that, there is no person in my life I can't choose to love. It says God is love. So this is the thing. God isn't merely loving. He doesn't just love as a verb. He is love in his person. It is part of his character and nature. That's who he is. So understand this. Every love in your life is derived from God or maybe a cheap knockoff of God. It is a love that mimics the love that God extends to us because God is love. Verse nine, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. So, God's display of love for us is the sacrificial atoning work of his Son on the cross. Jesus came into this world, died on the cross, and this is a sign of love for us. It is an, the evidence of God's love for us. Verse 10. This is real love—not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. He said, "This is real love. This is this is the standard for love." And we've talked about this in the past. When I talk about Ephesians five, we talk about sacrificial love and submission in marriage relationships. But but this is the standard for what real love is—it's sacrifice. It's laying down what I want for what someone else needs or wants. This is what real love is. Real love is not manipulative. It's not controlling. It's not domineering. That's not what real love is. Real love is sacrificial. Romans chapter 5. I love this verse. And the English Standard Version says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were yes sinners, Christ died for us. On your worst day, with the most shame you can possibly imagine, at the lowest point of your life where you felt like dying, you felt like a failure, you felt like you didn't want anybody to ever see you, you wanted to fall into a hole in the earth. That's when God, in His sovereignty, in His love, in His love that is beyond comprehension, looked at you and said, You are beautiful and lovely and worthy of the death and blood and sacrifice of my Son. That's the price. He paid for you on your worst day. That's the price he paid for me on my worst day. Why? Because he loves us with a love we cannot understand. Verse 11, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. You're like, "Uh uh-oh, wait a second. I I like receiving the love of God. That's awesome. Yes, thank you, Lord, for your love. But now he flips it and goes, and now you need to love each other. And this is a little harder. It says in verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. So if we love each other, God inhabits that love. It says his love is brought to full expression in us. Man, it's so much easier to receive the love of God than to give the love of God, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, but there are some people that aren't very easy to love. Maybe just in my life. Maybe maybe I'm not a very good Christian. I struggle with that. But I know you guys are good. Um, And here's the thing. You're probably going to have to go to Walmart at some point, right? And that is a test of your love of other people, isn't it? Some of you survive Thanksgiving and you got Christmas coming up and you're already dreading it. Because you're like, oh, I'm going to have to see who, you know, the uncle, the aunt, the cousin, my parent, whatever it is. It's going to be a test of your love. It is easy to receive the love of God. It is hard to love people with the love of God. But it's so important. So it says in this last part of this verse that his love is brought to full expression in us. His love is brought to full expression in us. Now, I don't know about you, but some people in my life are better at expressing love than others. Some people just struggle saying I love you. Um, I shouldn't call him out, but I'm going to do it. Pastor Jim Hennessy is my spiritual father. I love this man uh, so much. I mean, God, he is a huge part of my life. And he is not a guy who easily expresses his love traditionally. And I remember uh, I would tell him, I would be talking on the phone, you know, eight, ten years ago. And I'd say, okay, thanks, pastor. Hey, I love you. He'd say, yep, yep, us too. (laughs) All right. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. Hey, Pastor, I love you. Well, yep, 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 Beck and I, we're so proud of you guys. Okay, that's not quite it, but okay, we're working on it. And when he finally said, hey, I love you too, I was like, what? Come on, right? Because I knew he loved me, but to hear him express it to me, I was like, okay, that's special. That means a lot. Now, here's the thing. Some people are good at it. Maybe it's words you say or writing a note or acts of service you you help the people you love buying them gifts there's lots of different ways you can express love but here's the thing god expresses his love to the world to lost people who he desperately loves by the way through us and when we fail to express god's love to people they're not hearing it it's a silence and God is trying to use us to express his love to the world, but we are silent with our words and our actions. So how will they know unless we tell them? How will they know unless we express God's love to them through us for his glory? Verse 13, And God has given us the spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the father sent his son to be the savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. We have put our trust in his love. This is a big one. We'll come back to this idea in a moment. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. So it's impossible to walk with God and not walk in love. So if we say we love God but don't walk in love, it's not true. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in the world. Man, there's so much ground to cover here. Let me start here. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. As we live in God, as we walk with God, as we press into the things of God, our love becomes more perfect. And what it's saying is, our love is matured. So, It's really hard for me to love the way God loves if I'm not walking with God. But the more I walk with God, the easier it is for me to love people in my life the way God loves me, with an agape love, a sacrificial love. It's impossible to do outside of God. It's impossible, we can't do it. So here's the thing. If I wanna love my daughters the way they deserve to be loved, you know what I need to do? Not work harder on loving them. I need to work harder loving God. Because as I walk in God, his love is perfected in my life. I just had like a bee fly in my ear. As I walk in God, his love is matured in my life. So if I want to love my girls better, I need to love God better. If I want to love my wife better, I need to love God better. Because as I walk in God, his love is matured in my life. If I want to love people in my life that are unlovable, and you're like, no, I'm good on that. I don't, I don't want to love them. Well, you don't really have a choice. God calls us to do this. It's not optional. The person who's hurt you and abused you and abandoned you, do you have to be reconciled to them? No. But, but you have to love them. It doesn't mean you have to have holidays together or spend time together, but you have to make a choice to say, hey, I'm going to love them sacrificially. Do they deserve your love? No. Did you deserve the love of God? Nope. Neither did I. How do we do that? Can you do it in your own strength? Absolutely not. You do it by walking in the Lord. And as we walk in the Lord, his love is perfected in our hearts. If I wanna love my people better, no matter who it is, I need to love God better. And as I do, I'm gonna learn how to love my people better. His love is perfected in my heart. Verse 18. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're, if we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. So every time fear and isolation and despair begin to invade my soul, I can guarantee you it's not from God. Okay? It is from the enemy. Because perfect love casts out all fear. And if I can lock in whenever I'm feeling anxious or isolated or depressed, whenever I can zero in on the fact of how much I am loved, it will help drive out the fear. Verse 19 says, we love each other because he loved us first. We love because he first loved us. First loved us. Now this is important because John identifies God as the one who loved us first, chronologically, and he's also talking about preeminence. So not only is it the first in order, but it's also the first in, in value, in its volume, that he loved us first and best. See, a first love, the love of God, is an unlimited and unconditional love. And the problem with the first love, well, there's really not a problem with the first love. The problem is that we love other things, and we expect them to fulfill us like a first love. So we have second loves in our lives, and they're not necessarily bad, but they, they're insufficient, so what happens is we have second loves that we think will fulfill us but can't because the only thing that can is a first love. And the first love is the love of God. It's a love that's unlimited and unconditional. But every other love in our life will fail us. And these loves aren't necessarily bad because these kind of loves, the second love can affirm you and give you affection and, and tell you you're great and make you feel good. And this is love that we can receive from Parents and teachers and coaches and our spouse and our kids and our siblings, all these people can, can love us in a second love way. But if we're trying to find our fulfillment and we're trying to answer the question, do you love me? A second love will never be enough. Because second loves, that's where we find Doubt and frustration and anger, fear, resentment. Second loves leave us in danger of rejection and withdrawal and violence or hatred. Betrayal. And the reality is (sighs) we recognize how limited and how broken and how fragile second loves are. And unfortunately, what's happened is we bring those expectations of love, these experiences from our second love into our relationship with God. And it causes us to question God. God, is your love really unconditional? Is your love really unlimited? Because what I've experienced is love is conditional. You'll love me as long as I behave correctly. You'll love me as long as I'm doing what you want me to do. And there's a limit to your love. Let's move it away from romantic love and intimacy a little bit. Um, Does anybody, how many of you are Steelers fans? Okay, a lot of you. Okay, here's the thing. How many of you remember Juju Smith-Schuster? Do you remember how popular that guy was for a while? He could have run for governor of Pennsylvania and been elected with a landslide. People loved Juju Smith-Schuster. And then he went to the Chiefs. And people are like, I hate that guy. <laughs> He's the worst, right? And all he did was change jerseys. He just went to a different team. And what we are displaying in that moment is, I love you with a condition. If you're on my team, I love you. Hey, my love is limited to my team, does that make sense? And some of us, we apply this in our lives, hey, if, if if you're on my team, I'll love you, but a second you leave my team, psh, we're done. Hey, we love people in our church, but if you leave our church, we can't love you anymore. It applies to all kinds of areas. And we've experienced this. And so the second love, it bleeds into our relationship with God, and we start questioning, God, do you really love me? Are you going to withdraw your love from me because I blew it, because I messed up, because I did something dumb? And no relationship in our life is exempt from the tension of the second love. It, it, It resides just below the surface of our normal everyday life. This tension in our heart that's asking, am I good enough? And it reveals the abandonment. It reveals the betrayal. It reveals the rejection and the loss. And these are the shadows of this second love. This is the dark part of the second love. And there's a a French theologian named Henri Nouwen. And he said this, he said, the radical good news is that the second love is only a broken reflection of the first love and that the first love is offered to us by a God in whom there are no shadows. See, it's hard for us to understand and believe how good God's love is because every love we've ever experienced in our life is so flawed. But if we, can, if we can get a glimpse of how good God's love is, it would redeem our second loves. Because what God wants is for us to love him primarily and first, and as we do, it'll help redeem every second love in our life. It'll help me love every second love better and appropriately the way he wants me to. And now the the first love that has no shadow will drive out some of the shadows in those second loves. But the problem is we follow our feelings and our emotions and these second loves are so attractive. And we keep crying out this this, this question over and over and over. Do you love me? First John chapter four. Verse 20, as we finish up this passage, he says, if someone says I love God but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love the people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. It's not an option. It's a command. If we claim to love God, but we hate the people around us. We're liars, we don't actually love God. There there is no middle ground. We either love God and we are walking in his love to see his love perfected in us so that we can love others better or we do not love God at all. There are people in your life that have hurt you deeply, that you never wanna see again, you can't imagine ever forgiving, And I want you to hear this. We don't forgive for them, we forgive for us. We choose to love because it heals our heart, not because we're trying to restore and reconcile relationship. So if you've been hurt and abused, abandoned, whatever it is, I'm not telling you today you've gotta go restore relationship. What I am telling you today is God commands us to love them because we have been loved when we did not deserve it. So how do you do it? Every single day you go, God, perfect your love in my heart. Help me to love the way you do, because I am incapable of doing it on my own. Help me to love the people that not just love me, but the people who hate me. And help me not to hate anyone, because if, if I hate someone, then your love doesn't reside in me. So God, help me see how beautiful and lovely your first love is, so that it will redeem some of the second loves in my life. That's what God wants for us. You know, we started with this question, what is love? And hopefully we've answered that to some degree today, but but let me just finish with this thought. Love is not about chasing a feeling, but choosing a discipline. That's not exciting, but it's what the word of God shows us. I'm gonna choose today to love God even when I don't feel like it because God loved me when it was not convenient for him. I'm gonna choose today to love the people around me, not because they've deserved it, because I was loved when I didn't deserve it. So I'm going to make a decision today in spite of what I feel, in spite of what my feelings tell me, my heart tells me, I'm going to choose to trust what God says. I'm going to walk in him and let his love be made perfect in me. Hey, right now we're going to turn it over to Blairsville. You guys are going to get closed out by our hosts there. They're going to give you an opportunity to respond, but I love you guys more than you know, and I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. You know, today is really um, not a typical Christmas season message, as you might expect. But to me, it is. Because this, this is a great picture of what God has done for us. He sent his son into the world because he loved us so desperately and so passionately. His first love in our life that should occupy a spot in a place that would dwarf all other loves... Was sacrificial. It was like, it was agape. And so the invitation today is really twofold. It's an invitation to receive God's love and to, to walk in his love. Because if you're walking in God, then his love will be perfected and matured in you. Maybe you're here and you've been chasing second loves and you find yourself disappointed and heartbroken because you realize none of these things can fulfill you, I've got an invitation for you to experience the joy of the first love of God. It's unlimited, it's without condition. It's not like every other relationship you've ever had. There's something for you today if you'll just say yes. Let's pray together. God, why do you love people like us? People like me. So foolish, broken and flawed, but God, somehow you love us anyway. I don't understand it, but God, I'm grateful for it today. I'm sorry for the times that I have not loved like you've loved me. I pray that you would help me value my first love the way I need to. I pray that when second loves get in my way and take the place of your affection in my heart, God, I pray that I would recognize that. God, I'm sorry for the times I haven't loved those that I have deemed unlovable, even though you have loved me that way. I ask your forgiveness. God, I pray for those that are here today that have never really experienced your love. They've spent their life accumulating second loves only to be disappointed over and over and over. And I pray today would be the day they would discover how much they are loved by you. That there's no limit and no condition. So, God, help us to see that, help us to walk in that, experience it today. I pray for those that are here today that maybe they're believers, but They just refuse to love people with the love they've received. I pray that we would be the full expression of your love to this world. Not just the people who love us, but the people who hate us as well. So God, have your way with us, change us, transform us from the inside out. with nobody looking around, your head bowed, your eyes closed. If you'd say to me, Mel, I know I'm not walking with God. I know I'm not in relationship with God. God is not my first love. He hasn't been. Maybe you're here today and you're like what I described, you've accumulated all these second loves and you found yourself heartbroken and disappointed. And today you say, I want real love. I don't want a feeling. I want to know what it's like to be loved by God. I want to invite you just to pray a a very simple prayer with me as we finish out today. So if you're here today and you say, Mel, that's me. I want to, I want to know the love of God today. I want to surrender my life to Jesus and his Lordship. I'd love to pray for you. And if you want to be included in that prayer, would you put your hand up real high where I can see it? You could put it right back down. Yeah, thank you. Who else would say, that's me, Mel. Pray for me today. Thank you. Thank you, sir, on my far left. I see you over there, praise God. Who else? Yeah, over here on my right. Thank you so much. Thank you up in the balcony. Praise God, thank you. I see you up there, praise the Lord. Just a few more seconds, anyone else? Yeah, thank you on my right, I see you. Thanks so much. Romans chapter 10 verse nine tells us this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So we're gonna pray a prayer together. I'm going to give you the words to say, but this isn't my prayer. This is your prayer from your heart to God. So pray this prayer. All of us are going to pray it together out loud. Say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your only son, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From this day forward, my life is surrendered to you. Thank you for loving me when I didn't deserve it. Help me. Help me to love others the same way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. Mm. Listen, the word of God tells us if you prayed that prayer, you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So we wanna help you take the next step. We want you to walk with the Lord so that he can perfect his love in you. And the easiest thing, uh, easiest way to do that is by helping us help you. So please do me a favor, take one minute and fill out the card in the seat back in front of you if you prayed that with us and you meant it today. Fill out that card, and when we finish here in a moment, out these main doors, uh, there's a next step table. One of our team is gonna be there. We'd love to help you take the next step, give you some resources, point you in the right direction. So help us help you walk with God in this way. If you'd prefer, you're watching online, you can simply text Summit PA to the number 94000. Let us know about your decision that way. And even if you're here in the room and f- do that online, please stop by the Next Step table and help us help you with that. Thank you again so much for being here today, guys. It's always awesome to worship with you and to be able to share the word of God with you. Um, Todd's gonna lead us in a final song. Hi, Todd. He's gonna lead us in a final song. we're going to sing about the great love of our Father. And while we're singing, some of our prayer team is going to be available. We'd love to pray for you. If you had a need of any kind, do not let shame or fear or embarrassment keep you from being prayed for today. They're going to be up here on the side, each side of this platform. If you have a need of any kind, let us pray for you today. Before you go, you can slip out from your seat during this last song and let them pray with you. Why don't you stand to your feet. Let's worship together one more time before we go today, guys. I love you guys so, so, so very much. And I'm... so glad I get to be a pastor. Love you guys. Hope you have an awesome day. I uh, Love to see you Wednesday night for leadership night. And ladies, be here Thursday night for a uh, uh, community night. It's going to be awesome. God bless you. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.